Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Time uh, together has been flying really fast. Uh, Sandra and I are coming up on our first anniversary at the church. It would be August, which isn't far away. And it's kind of fun as I stand up here and look around and see your faces and realize your stories and who you are. It's, it's, I'm just starting to get to know you guys. And I'm not scared from you yet already, so that's the <laughs> amazing part. And there are new people here we're just getting to know and guess who just arrived today. We, we have quite an auspicious group here. We have people from all over the world that have been many places that serve in many ways. And uh, we're not all here. No, I mean that in a nice way. We're, <laughs> there, there are many who are lively and out there doing uh, good things right now in other places in the world. I just think God's family is pretty cool. Do you? I just to meet them everywhere and uh, to know what you've been up to and how God moves in our midst to do so many things. It's just really awesome. If you're not a part of the family of God yet, uh, get saved, get in. It's a good family to be a part of. Be a brother and sister in the Lord. And you do that by being born again into the family. I couldn't think of a better decision you could ever make. God's family is just awesome and uh, We've been learning about uh, the family of God and what God wants to do with your family that you have, your busy families that run to and fro and at any time in your life, but you're also to be a part of the family of God and who we are. I don't know about you, but uh, has anyone told you that you are not their first choice? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being honest, brother. I appreciate that. It's, you know, you'll do. You're not our first choice, but it'll be all right. We'll, we'll take you anyways and take you just as you are. None of us like to be the runner-up or the second choice in a decision. We like to be chosen because we're the best and the obvious choice, the obvious contender to be selected. The idea that we'll do for now, seeing how there's no other choice but you, is not an option. It's not very inspiring. It doesn't make you rise to the top. Many homes, oh, I'm going to step on a toe or two, so just curl your feet on so I don't step on them too badly. In many homes, there's the golden child. Do you know what it is? I was going to ask you who that is in your home, but I won't. I'll go over here. <laughs> the golden child. Everyone knows who that is in your home, the, the star of the family. And then there's usually the black sheep. 
the one who is not the golden child. And they have their designated roles within the family. You might be wondering what I was. I was obviously the golden child, <laughs> not the black sheep. My mom said to me when I was in my 20s, she says, John, I don't recall you ever rebelling as a teenager. That's because I didn't. I was the golden child. I did everything perfectly right. But there were others in my family that weren't as good as me, and they were the troubled ones, and they were the black sheep. And so naturally, I became a pastor. Were you the golden child? Were you the black sheep? Or were you the one no one paid attention to because you were neither one of those? Because you notice all the attention goes to the star or to the one that's always in trouble and everybody else are just extras in the background, right? Helping out with the uh, drama between the two. We're going to consider a son today in a family and he was not the first choice. He was the afterthought. And yet, God said, I want my blessings to flow through the afterthought, not the first choice. God's plans to bless this world, and he wants to bless it like flowing water through us. We've learned that in the family of God, he wants to bless all the families of the earth, everyone. And he wants to do it through us as the family of God. And sometimes you might feel like, well, that's for golden children. But we're going to learn about a guy who was not the golden child. And God chose him over other obvious choices that were made available. God is looking for a willing heart. And those who feel like they're skilled and capable and know what they're doing are not always willing to go with God's guidance. God's looking for someone who's just available, who's willing. They don't have to be perfect or qualified in any other way. All he needs is a willing heart. He will divert the flow of blessings to this world through a person who is ready to be used, humble enough to submit to God's leading. That humble person, whether or not they are the golden child or the black sheep, can be the person through whom that blessing flows. Humility is realized when we take into the mottos. The first one we learned in the first sermon was God's house, God's rules. And then we learned last Sunday about God's house and God rules. And today, we're going to pick up a new motto. It's this, God's house, God's choice. He gets to choose. No matter who you are or what you've done in the past, God wants to channel the abundance and the power of his blessings through you. And it is best if you open with a humble heart to receive that and to let it flow through you to others around you. If you think you're qualified and you're talented and you have ability, you may actually block the flow of what God can do. If you think you're unworthy, you lack skill and your ability and you don't have enough spirituality, then you might be too negative to be faithful. Both golden child and black sheep can be very self-centered people. Any of you middle children know that? <laughs> they think they're everything, and it's just everyone forgets about us in the middle. That golden child and the black sheep can be very self-centered and restricted, 
and uh, can't really allow God to do what he wants to do in their life. So we're going to learn about this, God's house, God's choice. Let's consider this son. We're going to go to Genesis, Genesis 28, and we're going to look at uh, this chapter starting at verse 10. This is the story of a man by the name of Jacob, the son that was not the chosen one. Genesis 28, verse 10. I hear the rustling of Bibles. This, when I was in uh, internship in Bible college, I went to Defiance, Ohio, and it was a large congregation. And the pastor would give, just did what I did, give the quote, and everyone in that church to open their Bibles, and there was just a fluttering of pages. And they, the pastor leaned over to me and says, that's what the angel wings sound like. <laughs> I said, oh, cool. I just heard him now. It was really awesome. Okay, starting at verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and he lay down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob is our character here. He is the son that is not the golden child. He is the one that uh, was second born. He was the one that hung around the house. And Esau, his brother, his oldest brother, was supposed to inherit the blessing and everything as the eldest child. And he was strong and robust and running around the place and having a great time and quite the leader and powerful man. And Jacob, I don't know if he wore glasses and had a computer, but he seemed to be kind of like that and a bit of a overlooked individual compared to Esau. Eventually, in this story, and I know you've probably heard this story before, Esau doesn't uh, value his birthright as much, and there's a very good reason for that. Did you know that uh, children can cause grief for their parents? News story, right? You're surprised by this. You're laughing. <laughs> so, and in this story... Um, the golden child is not the one that's supposed to cause the grief. It's the black sheep, right? That's your role. That's what you're supposed to do. And when we look at this story, a lot of people overlook Genesis 26. And it says in verse 34, because Esau is the golden child, the eldest, the strongest. And in verse 34, it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. The golden child married the wrong person and married into a family that did not believe in the God of Isaac and Abraham, but followed false gods. They were warned about going to the land of Canaanites and marrying amongst them. This warning goes on all the way up to Moses and so on. That don't intermarry because they'll bring their gods with them and then you'll compromise your faith and that you don't want that. You need to marry within those that believe in this one true God, this God of Abraham and Isaac. And uh, I'm sure Esau was told this. Now, 
up to this point, they don't have a lot of kids. Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac has Esau and Jacob. And then as they have these two sons, uh, their hopes are resting on them just like the hopes of their parents were on them. And Isaac was the model son. He was the only born. Do you know any, any kids that are the only born in the family? They're a whole different character, aren't they? I've known a few, and, and I've tried to be their friends, but they, <laughs> they're, they're really very different kind of people. And that's what Isaac was, basically. And he had brothers who went off and not from the same mother, and it was complicated. There are a lot of complicated families today, but if you want to find blended families and half-brothers and so on, just read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're all there as well. And it really gets complicated. But Isaac was the golden child, the chosen child, and he thought Esau, firstborn, redheaded, powerful man running around, would be the golden child. But he caused he and his wife grief because he didn't value what he was receiving three generations out from Abraham. He didn't value the call that was on the family. And at every generation, the blessing that God wants to pour out could be jeopardized at any moment. You might have a couple of generations behind you. I've got three, four generations of faithful Christian families behind me that have been praying for us. But I, I could mess it all up in one generation, right? Walk away from it all. And Esau was about to destroy everything that they worked through. When when things go off the track and you're wondering what's happening as Isaac and Rebecca, who are having a lot of grief over this, they're worrying not just about their kid, but they're worrying about their grandchildren. And they're wondering what God will do with this. And in the midst of that, Jacob arises, the one that everyone overlooks. He stays home. And now the Bible's a little odd on this. It calls Jacob simple. But I it's a poor translation, and when you dig into it, he's not simple-minded, or he's not anything like that. He's, he's actually told in the story, Esau's out there uh, hanging out with the Hittites and all the otherites out in that area, and learning and having a great time with them, and hunting and doing all that. Jacob is described as staying home. He, he loves his home, he loves his family, he loves his mom and dad, and there's plenty to do right at home. He's focused on the family. Esau's not focused on the family. He's off running around interested in what everybody else is doing. And uh, that's where he is. So when they describe Jacob as simple, it's really that Jacob was humble. He wanted what was best for the family. And he realized as he watched his parents grieving over the older brother who was supposed to be the golden child, the one that was to inherit everything that Abraham and Isaac had set up, and realized it could all end here, Jacob steps up. Jacob says, well, if Esau isn't going to do it, I'm going to do it if the Lord will let me. And he receives the inheritance. Now, that's a whole other sermon about how he gets it. But he gets it from Isaac. Oh, by the way, there's a theory that the grieving parents over Esau knew exactly what they were doing. Jacob hadn't pulled the wool over anybody's eyes. 
they, they decided it wasn't going to go to Esau because Esau didn't want it. So it got diverted to Jacob. How do we know it gets diverted by Jacob? Now, when there's a crisis in a family and things aren't going along just like you had planned them to go along, have you ever experienced that in your family? Plans went wrong? And in that moment, you, you, your first default position is you look at each other and you say, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? But in the end, no matter what you decide, like Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob made decisions and decided that Jacob should have the blessing and he take, then they decide he needed to go find a wife who's not a Hittite like Esau did, uh, go to marry right with those that believed as they did. As he's off going doing this, they made the choices. But when things get difficult and things are off track, what's really needed is that God needs to make the choice, not us. We often get ourselves in for further trouble when we try to fix it and make it better, right? It's at that point you've got to slow down and say, well, God, we've been doing this. We thought it was going to work out this way, but it's not working out. What will we do? Rather than looking at each other and saying, what will we do? We should stop and say, what is it that God chooses? If, he isn't, if that's been rejected, what's his next choice? You know, I'd rather be God's second choice and not his first choice as long as I get chosen to be a place and a person through whom God can work and accomplish things. Jacob um, realized that sometimes we have wrong thinking in our head. It was in that day that they thought the eldest was the one to inherit. Abraham was called, Isaac was the one to inherit, and then Esau and Jacob come along as twins. They saw Esau came out first, He's the firstborn, he gets the inheritance. But you know, sometimes we make decisions not on God's will, but on cultural norms. Why are the firstborn the ones to receive the inheritance? Where did God say that to Abraham? The firstborn will receive the inheritance. He never said that. Throughout the promises that he renews, and he's about to renew here with Jacob as this, I will bless you, I will be your God, and I will bless all families of the earth through you. He isn't choosing the firstborns. He isn't choosing the golden child. He isn't just choosing black sheep. He's looking for willing hearts through which his blessings can flow. And if it's Esau, great. If it's Jacob, great. If it's both of them, great. God wants a willing heart. And that's where we come into this story with Jacob putting his head on a rock. He falls asleep. He's worried about his uh, older brother beating him up. And he's gone off to find a wife. And while he puts his head down and he sleeps, he has a vision. A vision of God and of angels. And uh, he's not quite sure what to think of all this. You will find this very important principle throughout the scriptures. And it's uh, one of the most key points here. Esau may have been the firstborn, but he was not God's first choice. Jacob was a man that God could work through, 
because he believed in the family faith. And when God calls, it was Jacob that was listening. It wasn't Esau. And throughout history, you will find that principle at work. The story of the kings of Israel, first King Saul was rejected by God because he was too much like Esau in his pride. The prophet went looking for another king and found David, of all things. But when the prophet went looking for King David, the future king of Israel, he went to the house of David and his father's house, and there were a lot of brothers there, a lot of men, and David was not the first choice again, right? The telling story of this principle once again, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, God says to the prophet, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance. That's you all. But God looks at the heart. He looks for the willingness of the heart. Everything else he can deal with. They brought in David from the fields, and he said, have you no one else? They brought out the best. Do you have no one else, the prophet says? And they brought in David, who was looking after the sheep. And the Lord said to the prophet, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, came mightily upon David from that day forward. The blessings of God are by the work of God, by a willing heart, and when the Spirit comes on you mightily, it's just that you are willing to be used by God. And every day that you are willing, the Spirit comes. God is always making this choice of who he will bless with the flow from which he will build the family of God and bless every family on earth because it's God's house and it's God's choice. He gets to choose who he wants to work through. If you want to be God's choice, if you want to be the one he chooses, then you need to know what matters to God. And it is the state of your heart. It's not your height, it's not your age, it's not your gender. It's what's in here. If you're humble enough to walk by faith with the Lord God Almighty, he could say, choose that one. Remember what Christ taught us through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus Christ, himself, the son of God, a descendant of Jacob, would show the same character described by the prophet Isaiah, described the promised Messiah in this way, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that's Jesus Christ, grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He was not stately form of his majesty, nor should we look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and he was forsaken by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He was not what people would have chosen. But he was the son of God. Jacob was meek, humble, and placed the interest of the family faith ahead of his own. And he grew to a place that God was first in his life, receive a new name when he was renamed Israel. 
his children became the 12 tribal leaders of the nation of, that we know of as Israel today, that Moses led from the promised land. It is God's house. It is God's choice. If you want to be his choice, then check your heart and humble yourself before the Lord every single day and put the family of God first in your life. Matthew 6 says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father, the Father of the family of God, knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is what Jacob sought. This is what Jesus Christ sought. This is what the apostles sought and, and countless millions. And God has always been true to his word. Jacob fled his home from Esau to find a wife of God's choosing. He accepted God's rule. He rules. He accepted God's rule over his life. And now he was accepting God's choice. He made many sacrifices of blessings to prove it. He grew in any even greater blessings as he went along. And when any of us are chosen by God because we have the right faithful attitude within us, we will find ourselves every once in a while stumbling into the house of God and into the presence of God. It says in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above this ladder that he appeared in a dream and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out from the west to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There it is again. This is God's great plan. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring back you to this land for which I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Some will call it luck, but there's nothing like a blessing from God. Nothing. Blessings from the Lord march to the beat of angel wings. The blessing of the Lord flows like a mighty river, the scriptures describe it. Science, logic, and all that practical thinking and strategies that a lot of people use today will never reach the scale and the magnitude of God's great plans. When others have made their calculated and educated guesses, they will take all the credit for the outcome and they'll take all the good and blame the data if things don't work out the way it's supposed to and when it falls apart. God's blessings are blocked by such things because it is too small too constricted by size of our pride and our self-confidence. Can I talk about farmers for just a minute? I, I grew up amongst farmers in Camrose, Alberta. And uh, back when I was a child, there was one major grocery store, Safeway, and they still had a cafeteria in it. And I remember the farmers coming into town, and the ladies would push carts into the grocery store, 
and buy groceries for a month. And the gentleman would go over to the cafeteria and sit and drink coffee. And I hung out with a gentleman and I learned some very important principles. The weather is never right, ever. I'm surprised we have farms because it's never right. It's too wet, it's too dry, it's too early, it's too late, right? It's too cold, it's too warm, it's never right. I grew up fearing for the death of humanity because we're all going to starve because <laughs> it was never right. They would sit there with their almanacs and figure it and calculate it just like I described, and it was never right. But somehow, somehow, the crops always came in, the cattle always grew up, there was always a harvest, the bills always got paid, and they would always be at Safeway Cafeteria complaining about the coming weather. That is so restricting to what God can do through us. Our calculating, our thinking, our measuring the limits of what is possible. The blessings of God are greater than life itself. It's greater than the weather. It's greater than governments. It's greater than economies and trade wars. The blessings of God are awesome. They're greater than all those things. They're greater than physical ailments. I am tempted to go into testimony time and tell you all the times that God has showed up for my family and was there and went beyond the limits that everyone said could not be overcome. But I bet you have some stories where God showed up. Am I right? Where God was a great blessings float. God is bigger than that, bigger than anything the world can throw at you. On our own, we're just no match for everything around us. But with God choosing us and to flow through us, we're more than a match for everything. In fact, we could be the source of hope and a blessing to an entire world. God shows up for those who say, it's God's house, it's God's choice. He makes his will known and he reveals his hidden plan. Oh, I've got to do a testimony. So, it wasn't long ago that Sandra and I had a business and it was successful. And we said from the very beginning, it's God's business, so God blessed it. There were days in our business when we were wondering if we were going to make it and the bank account was going to work out. And we just bowed our heads and said, Lord, it's your business. You want to close it? That's fine. If you want it to stay open, we got bills to pay. So allow that. And he got them covered. They got paid. And then one year, not long ago, he said to us, is that still my business? And he said, yeah. He says, close it. Wait a minute. I know I said it's your business, but we've got a lot invested in this. I know, I know. But it's mine, right? Yes, close it. And we closed it. But God has better things in mind. I wanted to sell it sell it to someone else so that I could get some money out of it. And God said, no, it's my business, right? Yes, I don't want other people to own it. That was for you, not for them. It's his. But if God can choose to bless me through that and do some amazing things, could he also say, hey, let's change things up and do something new? 
Let's do another thing. That was then, but now I'm on to something else. It was fun, but uh, I've got bigger plans for you. I think God has bigger plans for you. He wants to choose you to do it. But the only thing that's restricting him is the state of your heart. Are you willing to let him? When you're at the end of your plans and your schemes, when you have no place to put your head at night except a rock like Jacob, you might have stumbled into the presence of God in the gateway of heaven. Verse 18, so Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set up a pillar and poured oil on it. He called the name that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if, <laughs> I'd like that, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, have you ever had children do this? They start rolling about the conditions. Oh, I need food. Oh, I need clothes. What else do I need? And if I return to my father's house in safety, then... Will the Lord be my God? This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth to you. Jacob was willing. He takes the stone. He's ready to go there. He's really ready to realize that he has stumbled into the presence of God and the will of God. And if you will let God claim your home as his home, then you can let him have the choice of when and where to work in your life. Jacob did not open the door of heaven. He opened his heart. The door of heaven is already open. God is already seeking and blessing. He has been for generations. The trouble he's having is finding someone willing to be the source of those blessings. Heaven gates are open already. Blessings are flowing, but if you will not receive them like Esau, they will flow around you to another. I know you think that we live in a limited world, and the reason that people rely on science and intellectual possibilities to figure out their best course of action is because they believe that they live in a world with a calculable limit. There's only so much time, so much health, love, ability, money, that any one person can reasonably expect. You're, you're told to be reasonable, to live within that. And that's what the modern mind seeks when it worships science. What if we were wrong? What if there is a good God? What if we have placed limits on him that are a joke compared to what he's prepared to do through us? I find what Jacob's response to be hilarious. If God will give me food and uh, some clothes and bring me back safely, I'm sorry. He's asking for far too little. God intends to do way more than that through Jacob. And he's about to experience that. But Jacob begins here. If you go and read the rest of the story, you'll find it grows and it grows and it grows his understanding of what God could do. 
But he had the one thing that he needed. He had an open heart. He had a willing heart. And that will push your boundaries. It will blow it away to realize what God could do through you and what he chooses. It is possible we've been wrong about God and what he's capable of. If we really want to risk and be a blessing of God, to bypass us because we're not willing to live by the motto, God's house, God's rules, God's house, God rules, God's house, God's choice. Family of God, my dear brothers and sisters, and all you here today, there are hundreds and thousands of people within your reach that do not know the Lord, who are lost in a dark, hopeless world. Hundreds of thousands. And God would have them in the kingdom of God. And he is looking right now for a church through which he could do that. Wouldn't it be great if he chose us? And how would he choose us? Because we would have a willing heart to be chosen, to let him do what he could do. And you might say, well, we're not bright enough, we're too far away, who would want to do, why would God want to do all that through us? We don't have enough money and strength or energy, but we are too limited to think what God could do. God's got bigger plans for us than I could even imagine, and I have a great imagination. <laughs> Will we wake up like Jacob did and call this place Bethel, a gateway to heaven itself. Like Jacob, we can mark this day when we allow God to choose our willing hearts and our willing hands to do his work. You don't come to me after this service. Please don't do this and say, I think I know what you should be doing or what others ought to do. Come to me after the service and say, I think I know what God wants me to do. That's what I want to hear. It's time to get busy doing what he has chosen for you to do. Don't worry about being the black sheep or the golden child. All he needs is the willingness. It's God's house. It's God's choice. Let God make the choice in your life for what lies ahead. Let him find the people, the place, and the purpose for which you were made. And you're not going to regret it one little bit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I would like to close with a prayer. Mighty God, uh, we are here in your midst. We have heard from your word. We have heard confirmations through amens and hallelujahs. There are people who are going to share stories after this service how God is good and overcomes the limits of this world. Today, Lord, we're not the golden children, we're not the black sheep. We're just willing. We're here. And we know, Lord, what the mission is. Hundreds of thousands of people who do not know you, that are dying, who are suffering, who are in despair, and they're at the wit's end, and their limits are growing every day. And we know an unlimited God who can save them, deliver them, heal them, and overcome the struggles in their life. Lord, we do not want to be a source of grief in your life. We want to be a blessing in your life by being willing 
to work within this family to reach out to bless this world. Lord, would you open our hearts and open our eyes to see that we are at Bethel, the house of God, this place right now, and that amazing things are around the corner. I ask, Lord, that you would go with these people, that you'll provide for their food and their clothing and bring them safely back. But Lord, I pray you'll do way more than that in their lives. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. God bless you all. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities, both locally and abroad, and for all ages. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served, children's church and child care are available.